From Help Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. And we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that'll equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we are talking all about how to talk to your volunteers about boundaries, because care ministry is primarily offered through a group of volunteers. You may be a pastor, coordinator, or leader, but you are organizing an incredible and talented group of people in offering care through many different ministries, through acts of service, encouraging words, meals, prayers, supportive conversations, and friendly visits. People are what the church is all about, and this incredible balance of givers and receivers is what makes it so special. Sometimes you're dropping off a meal, and other times you are being delivered a meal. It's a beautiful community of people living together, well, not actually together, but living life side by side. If you're already thinking, wait, I don't have a care ministry like that, and I want to know how to begin to developing it, well, I invite you to download the free guide, Three Steps to Building a Care Ministry. And in this download, I offer or I outline what are the three things I would do if starting from scratch or rebuilding. And you want to grab this at hopemadestrong.org slash care ministry, or I put it in the show notes uh, for this episode. For many people I have spoken to in my consulting work with churches, the biggest need is training their volunteers. Often churches have a small but mighty team of people who are passionate about serving and caring, but anyone who has been in ministry or people care long enough for that matter knows that there are some tricky moments to navigate. In fact, just yesterday I was speaking with a youth leader, with a youth leader who was asking about how much they should reach out to a teen when they know that that teen is from a home who's struggling or going through a lot. It can be really hard to navigate these moments of those who are in need, or maybe they're asking for support, or you see that they really need the support. But as a church leader or as a volunteer, you can't be all things to all people. You don't have the capacity to do that. And oftentimes, it's not really the most appropriate option. In this podcast, there is no way to address all the boundary issues that come up, but I will talk about the top five that I hear. And I want to share how to talk about boundaries with your volunteers, because this can be tricky. You wouldn't think so, but it's true. In an ideal world, you're going to be connecting with your volunteers on a regular basis. Sometimes it's in person, most times it's in email. And I think talking about boundaries at each or maybe even everyone is a great idea. Here are some typical volunteer engagement moments. You can do onboarding training, those quarterly meetings, monthly group emails, or individual check-ins or supervision, or ad hoc debriefing support. Now, I don't really think all or maybe not every one of those opportunities or those situations are going to happen, but I do think it's really important that we stay connected and engage with our volunteers. We don't want people thinking that they're out there on their own or they're not supported. We want to engage volunteers in a way that they know who to go to for support or for those ad hoc in the moment issues, and they feel equipped to do their role because of the training and support that's scheduled in. Not only does this help limit ethical boundaries, but it also helps with volunteer retention. 
And in most of these connection points, you're going to want to address boundaries in some capacity. And it could look really different for each time. It could be a case study where you're looking at a hypothetical example or situation and through group discussion and learning, find out or discover what is an appropriate response. Or maybe you're laying out clear boundary issues and you're having people sign an ethical guideline. Or it could be working through a specific issue with a volunteer, like I did with that teen, that the youth group leader, and then share the resolution with the team. Because if it happened to one person, it's probably going to happen to another. There are loads of ways that you can address, inform, train, and discuss boundaries with your volunteers. And by making it a regular topic for conversation, people can feel less personally attacked, challenged, or limited by this topic. Yes. That's true. People feel challenged or personally attacked when you talk about boundaries. This is what people are telling me. Their volunteers have been working in this role for many years. And so if you address volunteers, it can feel like it's coming across as a, as a correction. Or if you're adjusting how you proceed with doing a certain activity or engagement or conversation or communication, then it could come across as you're limiting what they feel God is asking them to do. So I recommend that if you're just starting out this conversation or boundaries is a new topic that you haven't discussed in the past, that you're sensitive to these objections or or concerns that people might come up. And I would even suggest naming them. Just say them right out loud. Just talk about the elephant in the room. You can say something like, this team is highly skilled and has positively impacted people, but we're going to learn more about boundaries. And sometimes that can feel like we're being judged or limited or getting a slap on the wrist, but that's not the intention. The goal is to build a community where everyone feels safe and supported. And at times as caregivers, we can unintentionally cross boundaries that are harmful for us and limit those who we're supporting. So we're gonna begin to learn more about boundaries in our volunteer work. And so I encourage you to have an open heart and open mind and know that nothing is is a personal attack or nothing is a comment on anything that you may have done in the past. Now, for some, this script or this statement may seem not really necessary or even apologetic, but I think people on your volunteer team, those are the people who are compassionate, they're empathetic, they're sensitive to the feelings of others. And so we want to honor those gifts in our people and in our volunteers, and we want to be sensitive to their feelings. And a simple statement like this recognizes that this training can come across uh, in one way when that is not your intention. And so by just naming it out loud, we can soothe hearts and calm some minds. So let's get into the top five boundary issues that come up. And these five things are one, confidentiality, two, relationships, three, finances, four, time, and five, personal triggers. All right, let's start with confidentiality. Confidentiality is essential to building a trusting relationship with those who you're serving. And some oftentimes churches are small communities and the fear of personal information being shared is a real barrier for those who are looking for support. It is key that supporters remain committed to uphold the value of keeping information confidential unless specific uh, permission is given to share it. Now, I'm going to pause on this for a moment before I go forward because I do want to bring something up that I've said over and over and over with people on discovery calls, is that when people are sharing with you as the supporter, they're sharing it with you as a supporter, as a representative of the church, of the organization. And so I 
think it's important for people to realize that they're not sharing it with you as an individual, but as a representation of the organization. And so the expectation is, is that you are going to have support, you're going to have supervision, and you're going to have accountability team, whether that's the leader above you or the pastor or your team leader. And so confidentiality isn't with you as an individual, it's within your role with the organization. So you can speak with your supervisor or the team lead or the pastor about issues. And I do want to definitely stress that there are some circumstances that supersede for the need for confidentiality. And as supporters, we need to know these limits and clearly communicate them with those that you're supporting. And these limits are threats to self, threats to other people, or if a child or even elder elder is experiencing or at risk of abuse. In these circumstances, it is imperative that supporters disclose the safety threat to an appropriate authority. Oftentimes there's fear that you're going to go behind the person's back or you promised you wouldn't tell anyone or that they're never going to trust you again. But I'm sorry, but safety trumps or overrides trust every time. There have been times that I was unsure if what a person said was a threat to themselves. And in those times I spoke with a supervisor or I have informed the person that I need to get advice from the supervisor about that discussion Or even better is to bring the person in on the conversation so you both go together to the supervisor or team leader or pastor about this issue. Breaking confidentiality poses a risk of losing trust. It absolutely does. And the support relationship may end as a result. However, through clearly communicating the limits to confidentiality up front, like at the beginning of your meetings, and trying to engage the person as to be a participant in sharing with others, you are honoring your boundaries, their trust, but most importantly, you are keeping people safe. In my experience, people are upset about the confidentiality breach or about talking to other people if the risks are there, but they understand the process. And it has even in times has strengthened the trust because I was being fully transparent and I did it in a respectful way. The second uh, boundary that is commonly uh, broached or, or line crossed is in relationships. In more formal settings, there's a very clear point in time when the supporter or caregiver relationship begins. You go in and you meet with your counselor. However, in ministry, there may be pre-existing conditions, connections, I should say, or familiarity. You might be friends with people or longtime family connection. And this can present challenges because when a relationship shifts from acquaintance to supporter, there's also a shift in power dynamics. Acquaintance relationships are neutral, and in most friendships, there is a balance between giving and receiving. However, when you become the supporter, there is a power dynamic that changes. As a supporter, you are now perceived as someone who has knowledge, resources, and skills that are above or that the other person values and needs. Regardless of how much you try to avoid it or how friendly you are or down to earth you get, there is a sense that the supporter has power over the other. The supporter is now needed and looked to for help. Just being aware of this dynamic can be really helpful. Now, that's not to say that the relationship cannot re- can't return to being a friendship. Many of us receive some of the best resport, re- uh, support from our friends, but it's very important to just be aware of that so we know that there is this power dynamic that is happening and you're intentional in not crossing or, or misusing that, that connection. 
It's also very important, like imperative, that while you're in the role of caregiver or supporter, there's not a romantic connection happening. Now, this is commonly prevented in, by support only happening with those of the same gender, uh, but in leadership situations, that's not always possible. So I recommend that all volunteers side of, sign a code of conduct that also includes refraining from romantic relationships. Now, you think this would be common sense and never happen, but in my 15 years of working, three professionals that I have worked side by side with have struggled with issues and this became a, a problem for them and they had to be dismissed. If you are finding yourself romantically connected or attracted to a person, I recommend that that itself is not... Um, you know, an issue. Well, if you're married, it would be an issue. But that itself is not an issue. What you need to do is connect with your supervisor, discuss what the next steps would be, and most definitely referring that support on to somebody else. So I definitely recommend that vulnerability, connecting with someone and moving away so that you don't cross over those relationship boundaries. Now, the third area is finances. As supporters and followers of Christ, we want to live above reproach and ensure that we align with 2 Corinthians 6.3 and put no obstacle in anyone's way and so that no fault may be found within ministry. And to do this, we strive to maintain high ethics and personal boundaries in relation to gift giving, inappropriate relations, or other interactions or activities that may result in harm to the person, things like taking advantage of business deals. Most volunteers would eagerly say, absolutely not. They don't want to take advantage of those that they're supporting. I, no, definitely not. But due to the power difference or differential in the, in the relationship, this can happen in very subtle and innocent ways. Things like buying meals or groceries for people or even buying a coffee. If the person is experiencing financial hardship, it can present challenges for people. You can say things like, I'll buy coffee this week, you get next week's. And this can put undue pressure on the person who's struggling, but they feel that they're in debt or they owe the person that they're supporting. So there's this financial pressure. If there's any financial issues or constraints, I highly recommend that any support meetings or co coffees or anything like that are not located where purchasing a drink or a meal is required. You're able to avoid that situation altogether. Another common situation is when someone is looking for work and the support person has jobs or repairs that are needed around their house, or maybe they own a business and they could hire that person. Having Josh or Joe or Sally come out and paint your house because they're out of work creates a power dynamic that is not ideal. This is not great. Conflict, offense, misunderstanding can easily arise. And so it's really better to remain in the role of supporter and not ever exchange money, gifts, or services. If this is a common need in your church or your community, I really suggest establishing a more, a third party or a neutral program, a separate program that uh, offers or discusses benevolence funds, or even a community board where people can post jobs that they need people to hire. So this allows the person's need to be met, but honors that the support relationship remains just that, for support only. 
Now, the fourth area is time. And this is a boundary that's not often considered, but I think it is most often crossed. (laughs) It's not realistic or even reasonable to expect that you can support someone for years and years and years. Yet that happens because ending or shifting support can be really tricky. It can be difficult to do. The goal is to support someone long enough that they are able to build skills and confidence and then they no longer need you in their life as as a support person. However, there are times (laughs) when people get accustomed to the support or they enjoy the relationship and connection and so they sabotage their success or continue to bring up new situations or new issues so that support that so that the support can remain ongoing and they can remain connected to you. So having someone dependent on you in order for them to cope in life is not helpful for them and it is exhausting for the caregiver. So to prevent this from happening, it's a good idea to set out expectations from the beginning. In the first meeting or two, talk about goals for when your support is no longer needed or even identify, I'm really looking forward to connecting you we, for the, over the next three to four weeks. You know, you're really setting a timeline here and you can even talk about what life might look like if they were, when they're confident and doing well and no longer needing that support. From the very beginning, you're painting a picture of competence, independence, and and skills. And if you are finding you're working with someone longer than you would like to, take a moment to reflect on the work that you're doing. And if that support is actually helping the person, or maybe, I hate to say it, maybe you're enabling that person. Or perhaps the support they are needing is greater than you were able to provide. So you're either needing to refer onto someone else or bring in other people into your circle of care. But it's really important to recognize that connecting with someone in a, in a timely way so, uh, is a boundary that is both helpful for you and helpful for them. All right, so our final topic or our final area of boundaries is all about personal triggers. Caregivers, we often choose this role because we've experienced difficult times in the past or we've been a recipient of support and want to give back. But we need to be aware of how we are personally impacted by other people's stories and how the quality of care that we offer is impacted by our past experiences. Perhaps you struggle with other people's opinions, rejection, or stories of domestic violence because of your past experience. This doesn't disqualify you. Actually, it could be a really great strength. However, awareness is key. Having healthy boundaries is necessary so you can honor your skills and experience and ensure longevity in ministry. A great example of this is with a coworker of mine. She shows how to integrate boundaries into your caregiving work. We're going to call her Linda. She is a phenomenal nurse and she can work. She's so empathetic and she's compassionate and she can work with some really difficult people. Some of the most graphic stories or the roughest crowd. She is a phenomenal support person and caregiver. However, when it comes to animals, this is really difficult for her. She just melts. And so by knowing this information about herself, and she shared that with our team, she is rarely given cases where animals may be neglected or in hoarding cases or where animals may be at risk. 
So this is a phenomenal way to be able to honor her her triggers, but yet still offer the best support to others. Because if she was going to be caring for someone who's neglecting their animal, this would be a distraction and it would be really hard for her to be empathetic and compassionate to that person. Her kindness towards animals, that's a gift to our community through her volunteer work and her fundraisers for animal shelters. But by having boundaries, she is honoring her gifts and the people that she works for. I want to take a look at Jesus' example of boundaries. In Luke 5.16, Jesus was surrounded by a crowd of people, but he left them standing there, or at least I could assume they were standing, but he left this crowd of people and withdrew to be by himself and to pray. Jesus didn't stay and meet their needs. They were asking for healing and he didn't heal them. And it's really hard to imagine Jesus doing that, that he set this boundary of what he was able to do at the time. He healed the man of leprosy, but he didn't do anything else. He didn't do any more. Jesus chose yes to spending time refueling with God and no to the crowds of people needing healing. For most of us in the in the caregiver world, this is really difficult to say no to a person in need. But Jesus did it. In specific times, he said no to people. He said yes to spending time alone, resting and refueling and prayer. A pastor, you may be a pastor, coordinator, or leader, but you are heading up an incredible, talented group of people. And they are offering care to your church, to your community. They are engaging with young and old. They are encountering people in some of the darkest moments of their life. But no matter how skilled or compassionate they are, or you are, At some point in your support work or in your care ministry, your boundaries or their boundaries are going to be challenged. It could be in your time, your desire to pay for things, or maybe you push down your own triggers in order to be able to support a person. But Jesus didn't heal everyone. Okay, well, <laughs> actually, maybe through salvation, like through salvation, I guess technically he did heal everyone, but you know what I mean. In that moment in the Bible in Luke 5, Jesus didn't heal everyone. So boundaries are not bad. They actually offer us freedom. They release us from the pressure to be all things to all people. And they allow us to be human too. And so I really recommend that as a leader, as a coordinator, you connect with your team and you talk about boundaries, talk about the elephant in the room, those times when people are pushing those relationship boundaries, those time boundaries, those financial boundaries, those that your people are being triggered and you know the confidential how confidentiality there's limits to it there's boundaries to confidentiality and i think the more you talk about it the more empowered and the more um, uh, equipped your team will be if you enjoyed what you've heard today if you find it helpful i really encourage you to write a review but also follow or even share this episode with a friend thank you so much take care